We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, long live the king. Your boy ain't going anywhere. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yep, remember that? Happy Thanksgiving, uh, everybody. Uh, the introductory Ron Rivera press conference from January of 2020. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure everybody knows the news. John Oran joined us on the show yesterday, and he was outstanding. Tommy is with me today. Tommy's written a column about it. Um, you know, t- to be honest, there's not much news uh, to update on this story from yesterday, uh, but there's a lot to talk about, which I want to do with my my longtime friend um, and co-host, uh, Tom Lavera, which we'll, we'll start here uh, shortly. By the way, on the radio show this morning, I had Tyler Dunn on. Tyler was the one that broke this story. Um, he's got a newsletter called Go Long TD. He used to be a Bleacher Report uh, reporter, so you can hear that interview um, on the Team980.com or the Radio.com app. By, by the way, also, I had Ryan Fitzpatrick on the show this morning. He was great. Um I know that you, whatever. I don't even care about what Tom thinks about Ryan Fitzpatrick. If he is good, he is going to become very quickly the most popular athlete in town. If he plays well, okay, and that's a big if with a lot of you, and and that's fine. But if he plays well, he is going to become massively uh, popular. Um, let me remind everybody: if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do that. Doesn't cost you anything. And if you haven't rated and reviewed it uh, on iTunes or anywhere else that allows you to rate it and review it, do that uh, as well. That really helps us out. Uh, how are you, Tommy? How are you doing? You, you know, for Dan Snyder, every day is Thanksgiving now. Every day is Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I'll take another piece of pie. Thank you very much. Um, all right. I'll, you know, I weighed in yesterday for a significant period of time and and I'll, and I'll rehash some of that, but I want to let you have at it first. Go ahead. Uh, I was, I was surprised at the news. I, I was tending to lean towards the possibility that, uh, the NFL was going to repel Dan Snyder, not embrace him. Could it have been more wrong about that? And uh, I think that the whole uh, sequence of events that happened in the last 48 hours, or at least 
in the 24 hours from yesterday to the day before the Jason Wright uh, interview with ESPN about the name change uh, followed by the leak to the New York Times about the uh, news that uh, the NFL was going to make special considerations so Snyder could buy could borrow money to buy out his partners. I think this is an all an orchestrated campaign by by the team to let everybody know that Dan is large and in charge and it's all about the rebrand and what happened in the past is going to be put on a shelf that Beth Wilkinson report will be put on a shelf with all the other reports, analysis, plans, wherever they keep that stuff in the national archives of the NFL. <laughs> you mean it w- we'll have to wait like 30 years before we can listen to, you know, the tapes, the Nixon tapes? Um, It'll be right right next to the Ark of the Covenants, wherever <laughs> they store that. Um, I don't think that's at the National Archives in College Park. I would doubt that. Um, <laughs> that is where the National Archives are, or that's certainly where some of them are kept at that. Yes, at that, that they have they have a, a like a storing storage center there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I I I agree with all of that. Now you know I sort of leaned in the direction that there probably wouldn't be this you know, this bombshell in the Wilkinson report, even though I was hopeful there would be that um, because, and I think it was going to be required. You know, that was one of the debates you and I had. I thought it was going to be required to get him out. And, um, you know, I think one of the clear, you know, by the way, I think the New York Times in many ways buried at least a quarter of the, of the lead of this story, which was um, the fact, you know, and they wrote it at the end of their first paragraph, uh, you know, this was the follow-up story to the Tyler Dunn story. Um, he was he he had it first, but at the end of the first paragraph, you know, they wrote that um, Snyder is going to pay a fine for executives' misconduct. You know, let that- me explain something. Let me tell you something. I could be wrong about this. Okay, most likely I'm wrong, but knowing the business and know how it works, the reason they kind of buried that because they're not absolutely sure. Well, why would they say anything then? Well, because because the the question of this story is what happens now to Dan Snyder. That's the obvious question of the story. It was it was a question that they felt needed to be addressed. But there's no there's no particular attribution to that part of this. I agree. I, I think I think this is I agree with the attribution. I think this is a conclusion as much as as reporting i so, think this is what what you and i are reasonably coming to the conclusion that a real like reasonable people would well they're not going to do this and then hammer the guy right you know that's so i don't think that is necessary i don't think they necessarily know that for a fact so let me just read the full opening paragraph from the new york times story Seeking to move past a year of tumult over the team's former name and sexual harassment investigation of its front office, the owner of the Washington football team is close to a deal with fellow NFL owners that will give him greater control over the franchise while he pays a fine for executives' misconduct. Look, the story, if executives' misconduct isn't a part of this story, they didn't need to make it a part of the story. The story is is that the NFL is allowing him, uh, by waiving the debt limitation, um, to, uh, to, to buy out his minority shareholders. 
I understand that it's I, not. There's no attribution here. But why would they put it in there if they're if it's just conjecture on their part? I, I didn't say I, because it's a question. It's it's a big matzo ball that's hanging out there. I know, but it didn't need to be in this like story. This. I, th- I think it did. Why? I, th- I think it need. I think it needed to be addressed one way or the other. How come they did not refer back to it in the entire story? That was weird. Yes. I, I I totally agree with that. But my point is, the story was that Snyder was buying out his minority shareholders. Look, I'm and not they- going to argue with you about whether it should or shouldn't be in there. I'm just telling you what I think happened. Why it's in there at all. And it's the only reference to it. And it's the bigger story. Um, They're both big, but you're right. This is a big story because the only possible way he loses the franchise, which, you know, the significant majority of the fan base is hoping that, hey, we got Ryan Fitzpatrick, we got Curtis Samuel, we got William Jackson III, and we might get rid of Snyder in this offseason. This would be the ultimate Washington offseason. So we know that the Beth Wilkinson report is what, you know, hangs in the balance in terms of maybe providing enough to oust him. And so them putting, if you're you're suggesting that this is like a throwaway guess that he's just going to be fined, I think it's too significant for them to just throw it away as sort of a guess. I, do, I don't think they know. Okay. Um, I don't think they know. If they knew, well, can we assume, there would be more about it in the story. Can we assume for the purposes of our conversation today that that's what it's going to be? Or do you think... Yes, I agree. Okay. That's what I just say. Reasonable I know, people I know. would conclude that. Okay, fine. Yes. Okay, be, because one of the things that you briefly um, got me excited, you titillated me briefly with the possibility that maybe more is coming and that maybe, because, you know, one of the reactions I saw from a lot of people when they read the, you know, he's buying out his minority shareholders is, well, maybe he's buying them out because he's going to sell the team as, you know, he because they're going to allow him to sell the team by himself and get a bigger, you know, bang for his buck. Because the bottom line is, those minority shareholders would have preferred that they sell their shares in conjunction with him selling his shares because it would have equated to a much higher valuation and they would have made a lot more money on the sale. Their 40% would have been worth maybe double what they got for it. You know, not double. Well, yeah, would have been double what they got for it because the valuation on their purchase of their minority shares was $2.2 billion. This, or, this, this football team's worth north of $4 billion, probably $4.5 billion. Maybe it's $5 billion. But you don't get that number unless the buyer, the purchaser, gets control of the team. So that they wanted their preference. Fred Smith and Bob Rothman and Dwight Char's preference would have been to sell the team in conjunction with Dan selling the team because they would have made much more money if they were just if they didn't think he was going to sell and maybe this should have been a tell by the way Tommy maybe this should have been the bigger tell on what the minority shareholders thought which was Dan's not going to be forced to sell this team and he's not going to choose to sell this team when they were trying to sell their shares through the guy in Baltimore to the group in California you know we're Don Moog, yeah. yeah we should have actually I'm just sort of coming to that conclusion I should have come to that conclusion sooner it would have made sense I know that they certainly would have preferred to have sold their shares in conjunction with Snyder's shares but at some point they were looking to 
share just their 40% to somebody else, which should have been the absolute tell that they didn't think Dan was going to be forced to sell or wasn't going to choose to sell. You know what I mean? But anyway, back to... Oh, okay, well, let's let's broach that because I think you're right. But that would have to mean that you'd have to operate on the assumption that, uh, well, maybe when they, they started trying to sell before there was a Beth Wilkinson report. I mean, they started to put the pressure that, uh, that's on true. Snyder. That's true. Before Beth Wilkerson even existed in this thing, before uh, I, the whole thing, the, yeah. before the post story, maybe they had an idea of what was coming with the post story at some point early on in this process. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it's difficult to imagine the NFL going through these steps if Beth Wilkerson has a bombshell report. That's right. So we both, like, yeah, okay, we're, we're, we're repeating ourselves. We both are in agreement there. I guess, I guess my, what I was, the reason that we got to sort of this, uh, you know, sort of reveal in my own mind about what I should have put two and two together when they were, when they had buyers, you know, the um, uh, Jose Feliciano group uh, out in California that were going to buy their minority shares for 900 million or whatever it was. And Snyder exercised the right of first refusal, or at least on Dwight Char's shares, which held that up. That should have been the tell that Snyder wasn't, you know, planning on selling his stake. And and that's why those of you who reacted, well, maybe he's got 100%, but the league's going to force him to sell and he'll be able to make more money um, on the sale because he'll own the whole thing. The bottom line is it's a good deal for Snyder to buy in at a $2.2 billion valuation when the when the organization that he has is worth four-plus billion dollars, but it's only worth that if you're going to sell it, and he's not going to sell it. I think that's the, the, the conclu- there are a couple of conclusions. One, he's not going anywhere. And two, with respect to the Wilkinson investigation, there's no bombshell. We agree on both of those things. Yes. So Yes, that would I mean anything else would be would would just doesn't make sense. There are a couple of other things to this, and you sort of alluded to it in your column. You know, what this does for him you know, in addition to getting actually a pretty good deal. Um, And by the way, you know, being able to do it because they waived the uh, debt limit, which is going to be a no-brainer with these new television deals, which are worth, you know, John was on with me yesterday, John Orand, and, you know, $110 billion. Like, he's going to be able to pay this off in a few years once they start getting the first checks from the new TV deals. Um, But actually... John brought up, and I think, and then I added to it that, you know, he could still bring on new minority investors. And I said, you know what? That makes a lot of sense because imagine with all of their emphasis on diversity over the next year, if he brings on a very diverse group of minority investors, the league would probably love that. And, you know, it would allow him to pay off the debt faster. Anyway, um, that That may be, but, but NFL owners as a rule, do not like to have partners. I know, but many of them do. And, and but Dan, they don't. I mean, it's not that they something they seek out unless they need money. Yeah. Well, and Dan, you know, this is it comes to uh, as a surprise to many. Dan had to borrow to bo- to buy the team, and he yes. had to just borrow to buy out his minority shareholders. Now, still, he had to come up with four hundred and twenty-five million in cash on his own because it was a, a you know a reported eight hundred and seventy-five million dollar buyout, four hundred and fifty million. I'm assuming that he uses all of the available debt. Um, the increased debt 
uh, ability. Um, but anyway, what I, what I wanted to get to is this. The other thing this does for him is all of the craziness, the lawsuits, the shenanigans, the allegations, the bickering, the accusing, the threatening, it all goes away with this. In my opinion, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But in the purchase of the the remaining 40% of the equity in the Washington football team from Fred Smith, Dwight Schar, and from Bob Rothman, there has to be some sort of understanding, confidentiality agreement that we ain't talking about each other after this. So anything they know about him and anything he knows about them and anything he was suing, you know, remember, he's he's alleged that Dwight Shar and Bruce Allen, among others, are behind a smear campaign against him. But all of that, all of that ugliness, which I'm sure the league is thrilled at, it's over. That stuff's going away. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. How can I, how I, convenient? I, 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 I do agree with that. I think it, it it's all going away at this point. Uh, I mean, there, there is still a tremendous amount of curiosity, or at least there should be, even if there's a lot of depression right now about this news, about how the Wilkinson report will be handled. What will they reveal? How much information will be public? And how much pressure there will be for the NFL to make it public, and will they care about that? What do you think? I think I think it'll be a toned-down report, and I think they'll make it public. What do you mean a toned-down report? Like, they're going to— No, it's, I, I think Beth Wilkinson is, is a good soldier. Okay. Like I've said all along. I know. She's the one who stood on the steps of a courthouse and said the NFL did nothing to hide medical information about concussions from its players. You know, and she did it with a straight face. So, I mean, I, I think she's a good soldier. And I just think that the Wilkerson report will not have the impact that people thought it would. And I think, I think in order... In order for the NFL to make it public, that's going to have to happen. And I think the NFL is going to have to make it public because it'll be a tremendously bad look if, if they do this for Snyder and then they keep the report secret. Well, they're going to have to have a reason at the very least to fine him. I mean, you yes. know, if the New York Times last paragraph of that story about fining him for executive misconduct is true, they're going to have to give a reason why they're fining him for executive misconduct, even though we were all hoping the punishment would be much worse. Not draft, by the way, not draft picks. Do whatever you want to do to him. Don't take our draft picks. Um, but, or don't but reduce- it, will be, it will be rear view mirror stuff. In other words, it, I, I, would, I would bet the Wilkinson report is about what happened and mm-hmm. how they fixed it. I uh, totally agree with what you just said in that last line. It's not only going to be about how they fixed it, but how they're continuing to fix it with Tanya yes. and Jason and all of the other people not named Dan conveniently and what they've been working on. 
um, and all of the great hires that they've made and all of the great business practices that they've put into place to ensure that this doesn't happen again. Remember, Goodell mentioned that during the Super Bowl press conference, that they had made a lot of progress and they had implemented, you know, a lot of new, you know, policies and, and business, you know, best business practices, you know, which, by the way, is a total, you know, sort of McKinsey consultant. We're going to we're going to come in there and we're going to look at your situation and we are going to implement best business practices. I mean, all that stuff drives me crazy to hear because it's like all the theoretical stuff that used to drive me nuts when I uh, would meet with some of these people. But that's what it's going to be. I agree with you. This is going to be, I don't know about the tone down. I think more importantly, we're not going to get to read it. We're going to get some sort of summary. That's going to be a bad, bad look. I know you agree. I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I but mean, what is she going to do? For a league that that's very sensitive, since the Ray Rice, yeah, about their image with women, mm-hmm. this will be something that won't that won't be def- easily defended. But what what would be worse for them is if they basically gave them more power, and whatever it is that's read pisses people off and says, "How could you in this environment give him more power, more ownership?" Well. Look, Kevin, if they don't release the report or parts of the report, people will automatically assume that it's too damaging to to reveal. You think that's what they'll assume? And they will conclude that. Okay. Okay. Well, then then, then the only way to avoid that, I'm not disagreeing with you in terms of if they don't allow that report to become public, that the assumption will be it's terrible – I think that's a I think that's a fair um you know a, a fair prediction then they're going to have to release the report and then your idea that it'll be some toned down version is in play and with the emphasis on what they've already done and what they're currently doing to make yes. the organization a and, much safer place to work for women and anybody else But I don't think I don't think we'll ever find out what happened I don't think we'll ever find out what happened on that airplane ride from Vegas well, we're certainly not going to find out from any of the previous minority shareholders anymore. <laughs> they they have been silenced, I believe. You know, unless there's some sort of, you know, like you said, 30 years from now, the Snyder minority shareholder tapes are available at the National Archives building. You can go put headphones on and listen to them. Um, but you've got to show up at the actual facility. Yeah. Um, Listen, after Dan Snyder's name, you know how for doctor you have the word, the letters MD. Dan Snyder should start using Daniel Snyder NDA, non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> Uh, I think it would be more serious than that. I, he needs confidentiality agreements. Those NDAs have, are typically not even worth the paper they're written on. Um, but confidentiality agreements um, are, are carry much um, more significant weight. Uh, at least that's what I remember from that world. Um, you know, the, um, the thing that you mentioned about the name, right? So uh, during all of the, the stories and the discussion yesterday, and, and by the way, I want to make just one thing clear, because I know some of you, 
And it's fine. I don't care that you are just focused in on the football thing. But to me, they blend together, and I don't know why some of you don't see that. It, it's, I, I, it, sometimes I think some of you are like, you know, can we just talk about whether or not they're going to sign Adam Humphreys today? Because John Kime reported that Adam Humphreys is, being, uh, is in the building or they're talking to Adam Humphreys. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay, Tennessee, been out, been injured for a little while, but he played with Ryan Fitzpatrick in Tampa you know, slot receiver type. Um, Nikhil Harry apparently might be a target as well. And I know some of you would just prefer that, especially in this offseason that's had mostly positive football team news. But the two go hand in hand, people. I mean, if you don't think that the last 21 years of this owner have, and this owner's influence has been destructive in a way that's basically ruined what we what we used to have, and now that you know there's this one little glimmer of hope, you know, this one you know a long shot possibility that he might finally be gone, has now been wiped away, and now he's actually you know, perhaps emboldened in his own mind. Yes. Um, More powerful. Maybe. Yeah. If you, if you don't think that there's still the possibility that he, he will fuck this up seven ways to Sunday, I'm not sure where you've been for the last 21 years. Now I'm hopeful like many of you are that Ron doesn't have, you know, a Bruce Allen in between him, you know, doesn't have a Vinny in between him that, you know, Ron's hired some good quality people and maybe Dan's finally learned his lesson you know, I, I hope that's true, and I, I don't completely dismiss the possibility that, you know, he changes, but more likely than not, you know, I, I don't know that ultimately this is going to end well. I, I hope they have a really good team this year. You know, I hope it's a 12-5 and season, 11-6. and six. I like doing the 17 game thing now, Tommy. Yeah, that confuses everybody <laughs> yeah. when you start when you start rolling those numbers. Right, in. but... um. <laughs> But, you know, this is significant. Yesterday was significant. What's happening and what what has been happening off the field is significant. But anyway, I wanted to get into the name thing. Um, Because while all this was going on, it was very interesting what was happening with Jason Wright and his team on the name uh, side of the, uh, you know, the the new branding side of of the building. And we will get to that. You do agree. Go ahead. Hello. No, Did go you ahead. agree that the, the timing of that uh, was not coincidental? Well, I actually want to ask you also about um, how this story got out because I, okay. I I took a leap um, on uh, w- just a guess and I, I and I connected some dots and I wanted to see if you thought that I connected the dots accurately. But um, what the 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 brand campaign, whether or not it was coincidental, I don't know. Probably not. It's it was probably not coincidental. Um, let's get to that next, right after this word from one of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis 
analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. So yesterday, um, as all of this reporting from Tyler Dunn first and then the New York Times and then the Post, Mark and and Liz had a story. And I do want to ask you just about the competition. I know we've talked about it in the past, the competition between the New York Times and the Washington Post on all of this. Um, But at the same time, um, the Washington football team was holding um, an inside the rebrand uh, you know, conference, I guess, you know, led by Jason Wright, the team's new uh, president, and also um, uh, the, you know, some of their new marketing people, et cetera. Um, in fact, I'm looking at, you know, it was on Clubhouse, and it started yesterday. It was between 10 and 11 a.m. inside the rebrand. Um, the participants were team president Jason Wright and then Code and Theory CEO Dan Gardner. I, I don't even know what that is. But anyway, it looks like they were a sponsor to this whole thing. And the moderator was Janine Pogi or Pogi. She's with Ad Age. Um, and it looks like they were sort of uh, a participant in this as well. So, you know, all the while all this is breaking, you know, they're talking about the new name. And Jason Wright with John Kime the other day also said, you know, maybe Washington football team, there's a lot lot of sentiment that we should keep Washington football team. By the way, I haven't met one person that has said keep Washington football team. I've I've certainly heard FC Washington, Washington FC. That's actually my preference, but I'm I've told you before here in recent months, I'm so less passionate about this issue other than this Tommy and actually just reminded me of this. Pick a goddamn name at this point. You know, seriously, like enough is enough. Like, you know, this, this, all of this, you know, includes uh, inclusiveness, you know, building it. We got 15,000 submissions and we're, we're going through all of this. Come on now. All right. This sounds like all of the, the consultant stuff I used to listen to. It's, it's time to pick a new name. And if they, if you're not going to pick a new name, say you're not picking a new name, but it's time to basically fish or cut bait on this thing. It's just too much. the The more they squeeze out of this, the, long, oh. the more misdirection they can get. I get oh. It's all about misdirection. Okay, so the more they're doing this, then on days like yesterday they can misdirect, they can divert? I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if fans are talking about the name, oh. they're not talking about that with the Wilkinson report. I just couldn't give a shit about this anymore. I, I want the team to be really good. I'm optimistic that the team has a chance to really improve here. Very optimistic, as you know, about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Very excited about that. Um, and I just think think this other stuff is is I I mean it just reeks of you know a bunch of guys wasting a lot of time in front of a whiteboard you know making these grandiose you know using all these big you know business marketing buzzwords talking about how all these people oh we really care about what you think but really they've got like two or three that they're going to go with regardless they've already done a lot of the work on this and if they're not they may be keeping a Washington football team for another year it was very expensive to swap out all the stuff at FedEx Field I know that I don't know 
why they had to swap it all out. There were no fans there last year. That was probably the biggest waste of money they've ever had. Like, why did they have to swap out everything Redskins and put in Washington football team at FedEx Field last year when they didn't have <laughs> one fan attend a game? Maybe a few family members late. But anyway, um, I. by the way, for those that said, oh, now that Fred Smith is gone, you know, um, remember the name is gone in part because we had this, you know, this perfect storm last summer of so many things, um, so much heightened sensitivity, and I'm not being critical of it. Many of those things very justifiably, you know, um, increase sensitivity on, um, and then Fred Smith and FedEx had that opportunity to basically make a demand. You know, that was a snapshot in time and he took advantage of it because they hadn't done it before then. You know, that had not happened before George Floyd or any of the events of last summer. And I, it, a lot of people, I got a kick out of it, you know, said, maybe now that Dan has gotten rid of Fred Smith. Yeah, yeah they're going to bring back the They're going to bring back the name. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. That ship has sailed, brother. <laughs> that that horse is long gone from that barn. It's, oh it's not happening. But, you know, uh, seriously, like, I... I I, I just pick it. Get a name. Stop the consultant whiteboard crap and give us a name. Pick one. I don't care what it is at this point. I really just want the team to be good. By the way, are you surprised that I don't care about that anymore, that the loss of Redskins, which you know how adamant I was for so many years that this shouldn't change? You know, I the data would have made me change my mind if the data had changed. It never did. Are you surprised that I don't give a shit about this anymore? Well, I think, look, I think for, for even for smart people like you, uh, <laughs> that can compartmentalize a lot of things. There's an exhaustion level that kicks in. There's always so much with, with an organization that really doesn't do anything for you except frustrate you that you have. And, I mean, I think at some point you just say, I, I don't give a shit what they're called. Just, just, I just want to see the football. <laughs> It's you know, there's an exhaustion level. The only thing I care about, I just obviously don't want to lose Washington. You know, I want my city to be a part of whatever it is. Like, even I, though it's not team, is it in Washington? I know, but it's no. you know, I mean, I, I don't live in. I, I will soon be living in D.C., but I, I've lived in Maryland. I always tell people that I'm from D.C. So uh, I, I, whatever, you know. So uh, there was one other thing I wanted to mention to you real quickly. So. I, um, by the way, and I, I asked you about this last night, but I tweeted out after the New York Times story came out, I said, uh, you know, I said, zero chance league waves financing rule for an owner under investigation involving sexual harassment if he's on his way out, which is basically what we talked about. But the way I wrote it, many of you thought that I was saying that there's zero chance that the league's going to waive the financing rule. And you said, Sheehan, you're wrong on that. And I heard from actually other people um, uh, that, that that it's not that they matter more than any of you, um, but said, hey, uh, Kev, you got that one wrong, man. You got that one totally wrong. They did waive the financing rule. And I'm like, yeah, I know they did. And they said, well, you, that's not what you wrote. I said, what do you mean? And so I went back. The way I wrote it, it made, I guess it made it sound to some that I said that the league wasn't going to waive the financing rule. What I was saying was that they wouldn't have waived the financing rule if he was on his way out and allowed him, you know, I knew that they had waived the financing rule. Anyway, I don't want to spend any more time on that. The last thing I wrote was the story likely leaked from the team. And the reason you know this 
is that the New York Times got it much before the Washington Post. They yes. don't leak anything to the Post. They hate the Post. I can't imagine that they love the Times either, but that's another story. Um, but I, I, do you think, and that was a sort of connect the dots thing. I, I had I had a source sort of sort of indicate to me based on, you know, uh, uh, who their PR groups are. I knew about MW, uh, MWW. I actually did not know that the team was working with Rock Nation, Jay-Z's group, but apparently they are. Um, but do you, did, did you connect the dots that way too, that, you know, it had to come from the team, right? Well, I, I like I said, I think the whole the whole sequence of events, this uh, this uh, seminar that they were holding, the ESPN interview about the name, mm-hmm. the release of, of this information. Yeah, I think I think basically they're getting Pete. Look, because I don't think they're too smart in that building to figure all this stuff out on their own. I think they're getting a lot of PR help uh, from somebody who's who is always trying to orchestrate the conversation about something other than, uh, you know, the Wilkinson report, or if, if there is anything to it, anything positive. So, yeah, I do. I agree with you. I think I think it was a leak. I think it was an orchestrated leak. And I mean, the New York Times uh, is is always in competition with the Washington Post. I mean, down the line in every way, shape or form. So, yeah, they, they got to take a shot at the Post, too. I mean, because the Post didn't have this. They came back with their own story, but it's it's not the story. No, and maybe the Post has another story, you know, that's coming down the road. But, you know, well, they better. You, you, well, that's what they, I was going to ask. Better. That's, so that's what I was going to ask you. Well, like, what is this kind of... Like, this is a big story, right? It's certainly a big story for the Washington Post, given that the team, you know, you you know it in their name, Washington football team, they're located in Washington. So how what is this competition like between the Times and the Post for this? By the way, neither one of them broke this news. This guy Tyler Dunn right. broke the news. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so what what but, is but on the but when when you're a small little operation on the on the internet. You know, no on risk. social media, what? No risk. I mean, well, basically, no. That's not what I mean. Oh, okay. I mean, is if you're the New York Times, you can sort of take over the story, and nobody's going to notice it. <laughs> okay. You know. <laughs> yeah. Says big so newspaper that's, guy. Unfortunately, yeah, that's what happens. Let me tell you, personalize this a little bit. How the the the, the inside of a newsroom works, whether it's the New York Times or the Eastern Express. Uh, I once got beat. Me and another guy, we covered a fatal accident on a Saturday night in Eastern Pennsylvania. And uh, there were two, an elderly couple that was killed. And uh, we were in a deep competition with the Allentown paper, the morning call. And in their Sunday edition, they had the names of the couple. We didn't. I didn't have it. My partner didn't have it because we made the mistake of not going right to the coroner's office themselves and getting the name, okay? So when we came in on Monday, everybody in the building was looking at us like we had screwed up because we got beat. I mean, composing room people who have nothing to do with with the news were looking at us like, how embarrassing. The competition got this story and we didn't. So you gotta come back with something. So you gotta come back with an angle. 
Well, well I, 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 luckily, I managed to track down the daughter of the couple and wrote what we call in the business a nice hearts and flowers story the next day about their lives. Mm. That, that sort of took the pressure off me a little bit. You've got to come back with some kind of angle that's different and fresh. Uh, I mean, you pick yourself up after getting beat, and then you come back with. So, I, I mean, a post has got to be, I mean, because they had, you want to own the story. And, you know, the post had owned, uh, has owned the Wilkinson story, obviously far more, uh, I mean, the sexual harassment story, far more than, than the New York Times did, right. has so far. Uh, and you don't want to lose ownership of that. And this is all connected. Um, so at the Washington times, when you were writing sports at the Washington times and you still do, I still do, but I only write once a week and I it's know. a column. I'm and not you're a, a column, you're not a reporter. Um, right. Was, I'm just curious if Washington times beat reporters had that kind of pressure versus the post. Well, I mean, look, when in, I covered in sports, it, uh, well, when we had a really strong sports staff, uh, I think there was. Look, the, the, the Washington football team has always been considered, in either newsroom, one of the most important beats on the paper. Right. Okay. I mean, so if, if, so if you're covering the Washington football team, everybody in the newsroom looked at you. Yeah, that, by, just by the, the way, sports that's, that, department. Right. I was just going to say, you're not talking in the sports. You're talking about for no. the for everything. Uh, yeah, everybody, news, the managing right. editor, the publisher, on down, because they're all football fans. I mean, they're fans, so it's worse. Yeah, it's right. worse than getting beat like on, on a City Hall story, yeah. because they, they care more about it. They're paying more attention to it. So, yeah, it was always, always a, a big deal. And, I mean, back, you know, back when I was a reporter covering baseball, like whether it was baseball coming to Washington or whether I, you know, when I was a beat writer on the Orioles, you're damn right. Uh, you know, if you got beat, you wanted to come back with something different. So, yeah, it, it, it was always a big deal. Not so much anymore. Um, all right. What else did we miss from any of this from yesterday? Anything? How, what do you think the timing will be on the Wilkinson report? Is there any advantage to them quickly releasing, quickly finishing, if it's not finished yet, and releasing it or delaying it? Well, aren't the league meetings next week to sort of finalize yes. all of the stuff? So, you know, it probably doesn't come out before then. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, you, I mean, it, really, it wouldn't, it wouldn't I mean, surprise me, Tommy. It wouldn't surprise me if it like comes out the night of the draft. Yeah. You know, like literally <laughs> yeah. they release they, they release it the night of the NFL draft, which is, you know, one of the biggest nights of the year for the league. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me at all if they did. But, but here's the thing. What you, if you're the post or the times and, you know, the, this has been the post story for the most part. They got to get it. You got to get it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't let the NFL dictate when this story comes out. You got to figure out a way to get it. So how do you get it? I mean, you know, we talked about, you know, the, the junkies information from uh, a week and a half ago or whenever it was. And we both believed that that was not just made up. It wasn't just a, a bunch of sports talk, you know, yaks. Um, 
uh, having at it. Um, where, where, where do you, and by the way, at this point, you know, it doesn't mean anything, you know, there, Jason's report was that the Wilkinson recommendations were one of two things, right? It was to either force him to sell the team or to fine him significantly, right? I'm almost forgetting what it was now. Do you are something you... like that to put suspension? <laughs> no, suspension. Oh, or it suspension, was. right? Or suspension. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And so we don't we don't know. Well, you would you're suggesting the fine thing um, isn't even definite at this point. But what what we do know is he's not going to be forced to sell the team. That was made right. very clear yesterday. Yeah, uh, I, 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 absolutely. That that was definitely made clear by by what happened. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the report is diluted at this point. I mean, because the only outcome, the Lombardi Trophy outcome, right, for for fans is the, is is he's forced out. Yeah. I mean, the other ones uh, suspending him is nice. But no one believes he's going to come back, you know, at a suspension, a reformed human being. Uh, and I use that those words loosely, loosely. Uh, and a fine, you know, in business, a fine is the cost of doing business. Yeah, it's, we call it shrink. Yes. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's all true. I, I just, who knows? I mean, I, I mean, I remember talking to somebody if it was just only a couple of months ago that sort of suggested that the post had a lot more that there were a lot more women but i'm assuming that the wilkins report knows that you know by the way for the post to to beat everybody to the punch to get you know access to this they're gonna they're gonna have to get access to people who are part of that investigative group for beth wilkinson or i guess people in the league that have already read it yeah, I mean, look, uh, when you work is... at the Washington Post, there, there are thousands of people that work at the Washington Post. Yeah. Okay, in all different forms besides the newsroom. So you have lots of eyes and ears out there that are paying attention to stuff that could somehow maybe, you know, you know, mention to somebody in the newsroom, hey, I heard this. Hey, I heard that. I mean, sometimes the, these things happen. Like, you know, I mean, you saw the uh, all the president's men. It's usually low level office people who either type up a report or or file a report who have this information and wind up leaking it one way or the other. So, I mean, there's who's no Mar- who's report. the Mark felt who's the deep throat, Tommy. Somebody's going to be deep throat. You would think so. Liz is going to be Liz is going to be in some garage over in Northern Virginia late at night. You know, behind some big post, and and somebody's going to be you know whispering. Uh, yeah, you follow the money. Follow the money. That's that's. It's always about following the money. <laughs> um, I mean, you would think Snyder has so many enemies. There's so many people rooting for a, a different outcome than this. Yeah. That. Uh, it's hard to believe that the NFL will be able to sit on the report. Right. All right. Um, nothing else. I, 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 do you have anything else for today? You see Steven Strasburg uh, has a ruptured uh, uh, tendon or something like that in yeah. his, in his uh, calf. Yeah. So what is the – I mean, is this going to be another out for a while? I thought it, was, it, I thought it wasn't so, ruptured. Uh, no, it's, called, it's ruptured. 
It is? It, according to the reports, it's ruptured. But apparently, it's one of the few p parts of your body that you can rupture, and it doesn't mean anything. Oh, my God. This guy. So he, he, I know. I, he even found, and I love the guy, okay? Uh, uh, but uh, he even found a part of his body to hurt that doesn't hurt him. <laughs> look, I mean, you know, at this point, you know, after what he did in Game 6 against Houston, uh, it doesn't matter. He provided yeah. one of the greatest moments in D.C. sports history and delivered in the clutch like I don't know anybody else that has, other than maybe Rigo in Super Bowl 17 um, or yeah. Doug Williams in, in Super Bowl 22. He really did. I mean, that that is that, – that Game 6 – facing elimination, down 3-2, having lost three games in a row at home in Houston, Astros expecting basically to close them out with all the momentum. And remember, Tommy, it was Paul Menhart. Paul Menhart told the story about how Strasburg was tipping his pitches early on. Remember, he gave up some hits and runs early in that game, and Paul Menhart and Davey Martinez actually discussed whether or not to tell him that he was yes. tipping his pitches because they thought it might throw him. But they made the decision to tell him, which, by the way, turned about out to be the right decision, and then he basically wait, went, went out the rest of the way and mowed everybody down um, until the ninth inning where he finally uh, was taken out in one of the great performances um, by anybody locally of all time. I, I just always feel for him because he obviously has a body that just breaks down. You know, well, this just, isn't this apparently isn't serious. Well, okay. When you, we, stop when you hear a, ru a rupture, when the, when the verb ruptured is, rupture is used, it usually doesn't mean something good. And you're trying no, to make it, it out to be something good. But this is this is no big deal, and I might want to point out they they rewarded Paul Menhart with that little move by by firing him at the end of last year. I know. Well, and he didn't even have Strasburg last year. Um, yeah. All but right. uh, I mean, you know, I mean, the opening day is coming April first, uh, a week from uh, today, a week from today uh, at, at Nats Park, uh, and uh, you know. Uh, the, the one thing that, that's really positive in spring training so far is Josh Bell and Ryan Zimmerman, their first base combination, is just knocking the leather off the ball. Yeah, but your boy Carter Keyboom is not doing well. Uh, I, you know, he's not my boy. Okay. I just as soon see them start Luis Garcia at second base and move Castro to third. They can't, they can't be running a school for third base it's too competitive in the national league east and there there there's a big emphasis this year on not getting off to a slow start like they've done almost every year right. under davy right you know i mean you know 19 and 31 was a nice story but nobody wants to do that again. <laughs> no nobody wants to say <laughs> hey let's get back and try to repeat the 19 and 31 yeah. story no we'd we'd prefer to be 31 and 19 well i mean you know, I've, I've talked to several people on the radio show over the last couple of weeks since the beginning of spring training, and the one thing that everybody has agreed on is that the division landscape is brutal. Like, every yes. single team in the division is really, really good. In fact, Tommy, you know, as bullish as some are on the Nats and the prospect of, of them having a really uh, big series, they are the third pick in the AL East. 
in the NL East. In the National League East, the Braves and the Mets are both the favorites. They're the co-favorites. The Nats are like picked to finish third, and it's not, and it's pretty close between them and the Phillies. And let's not forget the Marlins were in the postseason in the COVID nineteen, yes. you know, shortened it's, season. It's a very, you know, people forget that the first year of baseball in Washington. Uh, they when had the Nationals the, yeah. wound up going 500. 50 and 31. Yeah, uh, but they wound up 81 and 81. Last place. Nobody in the NL East had a losing record. They were 50 and 31 through 81 games, and then they went 31 and 50 in the second half. Yeah. And yeah. it was the first year oh. here, and it was like, oh, my God, the first year here, they're really good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's a very competitive uh, division right now. All right. Well, next Thursday um, on your on one of your two days of the week, we'll do we'll do a Nat season preview and they will be that that game um, uh, opening day is actually an opening night game on ESPN yes, against the Mets and it's Scherzer against DeGrom and then you get a couple days off and I don't know who I mean I I, I would I would hope that Strasburg is ready. To as pitch. far as I know, is, is Strasburg will be ready. Okay. Um, if not, you know, if not, it would I be will, Patrick will, Corbin. Obviously, that will be my return to Nats Park. I didn't go all last year throughout the whole sixty-game debacle, uh, but I will be there on opening day. God only knows why. I mean, you know, I I can't talk to any players in person. I can't talk to any coaches or the manager in person still, you know. Uh, so, it, I mean, there's no benefit for me being there, but I am going to be there. It, 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 uh, I mean, I don't want to get into this because you and I have had this conversation so many times over the years about being there versus not being there. Bottom line is, in terms of the game itself, uh, you get more out of it on television. Um, but I understand what the benefit is of being in the locker room, but you can't be in the locker room. You're going to be on a Zoom call, right. and you can yes. do that from home. But yeah. uh, that Saturday game's an afternoon Saturday game, which, by the way, now that I'm thinking about it, is Final Four Saturday. It'll be the Final Four day. So that'll be right during the first game of the Final Four next week. Um, by the way, I, I've got somebody about to join me um, to end the podcast. Dave Ungrady, who wrote the the Len Bias book, um, and is involved in another in another project. He's going to join me to talk about that. There's actually some interesting stuff w- related to bias and the 35 year year anniversary coming up uh, uh, on his death. But I did want to mention that I don't know anything for sure, but I can just tell you that a lot of the speculation yesterday about Turgeon. I'm not buying it, and the speculation was that he's looking to move on and that he's not going to get an extension. I, I would not wager on that at this point. Um, it would not shock me if he does get extended. But I don't know anything for sure, and I think a lot of it's still being figured out. But yesterday there was a lot of reporting that Turgeon's moving on. They've decided not to extend him. I do think I know enough to know that that decision hasn't been made yet or hadn't been made as of last night. Um, but uh, if I had to wager, I would wager more on him getting extended and staying than him moving on. I could be wrong, though. Um, this is a this is a very um, – this is a th- – th- this is definitely a difficult decision for everybody involved. It wouldn't be that difficult for me, as you know. I would have extended him after last year. 
Uh, but for a lot of you, you're hoping it doesn't happen. Others are hoping that it happens. Tommy, it's really very much split the fan base in many ways. I don't even know if it's split it. I think more people probably would prefer to make a change than stay the course. Um, but it's an interesting uh, period right now for Maryland basketball. The Maryland fans that I come in contact with on social media, it's pretty anti-Turgeon at this point. Yep. And I would hope that the athletic director and the school president and the board of trustees and anybody else that would be involved in the decision-making process, I hope they don't cave to the mob here. And, um, you know, maybe they will, maybe they won't. I, I think if they move on from them, I actually do think that fan response will have a lot to do with it. Um, but it's not just fan response. It's economics, too. You know, they last year was a really good year, not this past year because they couldn't have anybody, but last year when they were, you know, a top-10 team for much of the year and the Big Ten co-champions, you had, you know, most of the games, certainly most of the Big Tens were games were sold out and great atmosphere. Um, but, you know, uh, there was a couple-year of period there uh, after they were pre season, you know, the, the preseason, one of the co-favorites to win the national championship in 2016, and they ranked two preseason, and every game that year was sold out, um, you know, th- there was a bit of a step back after the disappointment of just getting to the Sweet 16 that, uh, that year. So they've got a lot to, you know, I don't, the economics of that university, for whatever reason, when it comes to athletics in particular, it's just never been very strong. Um, and part of that is because they don't have a massive revenue generating football program, you know, compared to the teams they're competing with in their own league right now. It's a football conference and Ohio state is, and Michigan and Penn state, um, are massive football programs and football programs generate a lot more money. And, you know, a lot of that shared within the 14 conference schools, the TV money, et cetera. But there's a lot more to, you know, the revenue model than just TV money in college sports. Uh, if you can fill up a 110,000 seat stadium every weekend um, and, you know, add that up times seven a year. Um, and see what that number comes to. Maryland's never had that, or they haven't had any. They've never had that, but it's been since Ralph Friedgen was here, where they actually had sellout crowds, and their sellout crowds were fifty thousand. You know, at Bird Stadium or at Capital right. One Field, whatever it's called now. All right, uh, we're going to get to Dave on Grady next. Um, I will talk to you on Tuesday. Okay, boss. All right, up next, a guest, Dave Ungrady, talking about Len Bias. Right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Before we get to our next guest, I want to mention to everybody that MyBookie's got a great deal going right now. If you use my promo code at MyBookie.ag, you can secure a deposit bonus up to $1,000. You have to use my promo code, KevinDC, so that they know that I hooked you up. KevinDC at MyBookie.ag. Now, MyBookie, as I've mentioned before, they've got everything you need. They've got plenty of prop bets, all in-game stuff, live betting. They've got an online casino. They've got an online race book. And obviously, with the Sweet 16 games coming up, plenty of opportunities with these final 16 teams playing eight games over the weekend, uh, and then another four on Monday and Tuesday in the Elite Eight. Uh, You can also bet a lot of prop bets for the NFL already. they got a lot of that. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC to secure a deposit up to $1,000. All right, we're going to finish up the podcast today with Dave Ungrady. Dave has written two Maryland basketball books, Born Ready, Um, which was the story of Len Bias, and he also wrote Legends of Maryland Basketball. Um, And we're going to talk with Dave about a project that he's involved in. It's a 34 plus one campaign, Leonard's jersey number, 34, um, plus one 35 years ago um, that uh, he played uh, in his final games 35 years ago. We just celebrated last month the uh, the famous North Carolina Chapel Hill first win at the Dean Dome game. And, of course, uh, this June it'll be 35 years since his passing. Um, and Dave's joining us now, and I, I want to talk about the project that you're involved in, but it's like a perfect day. We scheduled this you know, a while back to do this. Um, you're a big Maryland basketball guy like I am, and you've written books about the program and about, you know, its greatest player um, in Len Bias. So literally, and I was telling somebody yesterday that the last two days, not today, but uh, on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, I could have taken calls for three hours straight on, you know, do you stay the course with Turgeon or do you move on um, from Turgeon? What do you think? I think um, it probably wouldn't be wouldn't hurt to make a change, and and I read this morning that he is considering uh, being sort of proactive and looking for other stuff on his own. I mean, he, how many years has he been here? It's been eight, ten, more than that, correct? Yeah, ten years. Uh, yeah. Ten years. That's plenty of time to to have an impact on a program. 
uh, we can look at his program and, and if he's graduating players, that's great. And he's respected by the, uh, the community and the athletic department and, and everyone. But, you know, Kevin, the reality is you gotta, you gotta, you gotta progress. Uh, is it progressing? Now, uh, if you look at last year, uh, misfortune not playing in the tournament, they probably, that was their best chance to really have a good run in the tournament, I think, on detergent. They didn't get it. They surprised people a little bit this year uh, with, a, with a strong run at the end. And, and it's just a wacky, wacky season with COVID and everything. But I, I, I wouldn't be uncomfortable with the change. Um, I think maybe it would, it would please everybody if he, he was proactive about it. So you don't have the, uh, you don't hurt feelings here. And not that that's the biggest issue. But I think, I think it wouldn't hurt. Sometimes, sometimes it's just good to make a change and, and, and restart things. And, and uh, maybe that's what it needs. Um, by the way, you, you know, there was a lot of speculation yesterday. I, my belief, actually, is that he's going to get extended. I, I can't say that definitively. Um, you know, I've talked to a bunch of people. I don't know anything for sure. But my, if I had to wager, I would wager that he would get he would get extended. And you and I, are, I think, are on opposite sides of this. I just think that the trend here recently is he's become a better coach and maybe the best is ahead of him. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, this is something that people are very passionate about. You know, I don't know why, um, and I'm trying to think, it was a friend of mine who texted me the other day. He goes, we need you to weigh in on this. Bias or Dixon, who's the best player in Maryland basketball history? And I just said, oh, it was on Twitter with somebody. Um, and I just said, it's bias. And I said, you know, Dixon's the greatest winner, and he's no doubt in my mind he's the second greatest player in Maryland history. But if you watched Len Bias, while they only made Sweet 16s, um, he was the best player at his position. He was a, uh, you know, a, a transfer formative player for them and and forget about what the pro career would have been would have been I just thought he was a, a better all all-around college player what's your answer to the question you wrote a book legends of Maryland basketball who was your number one player uh well I would um I'm gonna pick someone else for impact well actually you know I'll, I'll let's let's talk about Dixon and bias first as an individual individual player uh ability um just the skills to do things that just blow your mind. That was Len bias yeah. uh, for an impact player. And I'm coming to you as a, uh, I'm a youth soccer coach for Bethesda soccer and uh, the travel program. And I, I try to look for impact players. They may not be the, you know, they may not be the, uh, the best skilled or, um, or they're not going to blow your mind in a certain way, but they will impact the team in certain ways. If you're looking for the, the impact player, it's Juan Dixon. He helped them win the national championship. He was key more probably uh, more than anyone else, I think, to help them win a national championship. But I'm going to look back at it in, in the era in the 70s. I mean, I'm looking at John Lucas. Look at what Lucas did for the uh, what kind of player he was and and the and how the program really the program um, was originally built in the 70s uh, on a consistent level with Lefty and a lot of a lot of that was John Lucas. He was a number one draft pick coming out of college and he had a very successful pro career despite his challenges with with drug addictions um so you pick from those three i think uh, i may go with lucas for that uh he didn't win a national program uh things were different then because you had to win if you recall uh you couldn't you had to win that the tournament championship to get into the ncaa i think there were only 
16 teams in the tournament. And you may recall that, uh, that classic game against NC State, I think it was 74 or 75. They lose in double overtime. It was for the... Um, yeah, 74. Uh, yeah, 103 to 100 ACC. in overtime. Yeah, ACC championship. And I'll never forget that game. I watched it. I mean, I loved watching Maryland on TV, and they were on TV a lot. I'll never forget watching that game. Brad Davis, uh, John Lucas, Len Elmore, Tom McMillan. What a what a team! But Mo Howard, Lucas, yep. I think. Yeah, Mo Howard. Lucas was Lucas is among the top. So I'm going with Dixon for impact, uh, bias uh, for individual, um, just wow, and and Lucas for you know he's up there. Yeah, so, those three. It's funny. I, I was thinking um, as you're as you're talking. Um, I've gotten to know Mark a little bit, and I, he asked me last summer. We we were somewhere, and there were a bunch of Maryland guys around. He's like, "All right, Sheehan, give me where does it does Anthony Cowan does Cowan make you know the list the the rafters?" And I said, "Look, he's a great four year player, but Anthony's not in the top ten. And he he said, "Give me your you know give me your top ten, but I'm not going to sit here and bore everybody with the top ten. But I basically said, "Look, bias was one. Juan's our all time winner. He's the best clutch player in Maryland history. He's the best." winner he was a he was a treasure you know for us but bias was a higher level individual player an all-time you know sort of combination of athleticism skill ferocity you know Uh all wrapped up into one he was an unstoppable force I mean he was truly uncheckable from late in his sophomore year until the end of his career there but um number three to me and it gets debated but it's like to me it's not even close John Lucas is number three for me and then we can start debating on the rest of the list and there's a lot of debates you know where's Buck Mm -hmm. where's McMillan where's Albert King you know where where's Vasquez you know all all of those guys but to me I think we've hit on the three whatever order you want to put them in is fine (laughs) Um, but you know Lucas wasn't just the best guard in the country Um, Lucas was an all-american tennis player you know when tennis actually was popular uh, in this country he's one of the all-time great athletes to ever play at the university and look, you and I both know this because we've we're, we're old enough to remember. But Lefty's best teams, you know, didn't didn't get to the tournament. And if that, that's right, you know, they were the second or third best team in the country in '74. And in '75, they got to the Elite Eight. But the best teams, the '74 team in particular, didn't have a chance. And God knows what would have happened had Moses actually played a game. You know, when you, oh, yeah. When yeah, that's you, a story when, in itself. Yeah, when you talk to Lefty. We, we did this thing, Dave, with Lefty. Um, I've told this story many times, but Lefty, we had this series called Lunch with a Legend, and we would rent out Ruth Chris, uh, actually Morton's, I'm sorry, downtown Connecticut Avenue. And mm-hmm. we did everybody, the, the, the legends of this town, you know, Gary Williams, Joe Gibbs, every, everybody did it. And I'd been trying to get Lefty forever, and of course, Lefty wanted to get paid. And I and I finally and I finally <laughs> right. said, Lef, Lefty, do you want me to drive my station wagon down and park it in front of your house like you did with Moses? And so he laughed and he finally said, "All right, I'll do it." I'll do it. Uh, good play. But, you know, but, to, yeah, that worked well. That's but we we did have to pay for his travel and his hotel and give him a little bit of cash. To make a long story short, the program started at noon, but he was required to be there at eleven thirty because we had a sold out house and you know we. He was going to be a meet and greet, and he was going to sign some things. And at 11.29 a.m., I look at my phone, and it's Lefty, cell phone. I pick it up. Kevin is Lefty. What's up, Lefty? You here? Nah, man. Look, I'm going to need more money to do this Oh, you got to be kidding me. And I said, Lefty, are you 
are you kidding me? And he just said, nah, man, I'm on the elevator coming coming up. I got you, though, didn't I? And he gets off the elevator, and he is laughing hysterically. He goes, I got oh, you. Awesome. And I said, that's look, awesome. after talking to you over the last couple of months, I believed it. And he just laughed. He, he couldn't have been better, and the stories he told for two hours – um, were unbelievable um, stories. He's a great storyteller. Yeah. He's a great storyteller. One of the best. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So when, when was that, Kevin? When, when, when did you do that? We did Lefty probably three, four years, four years ago that's, probably. That's Tommy yeah. and I did it. Um, we, uh, Lavero and I did it. We did, I mean, we did like 20 of these. And Lefty was like, Lefty and Sugar Ray Leonard were the last two we hadn't gotten in terms of wow. DC sports legends. And Lefty sure. was the hardest sell. And I, I must have pitched him for a year and a half. And, you know, his in the early, he said, did you pay Gary? And I said, no, we didn't pay Gary. Did you pay John Thompson? No, we didn't pay him. They, he goes, well, that's because they live there. He said, you're going to have to pay me to get me up for from Virginia Beach. Um, you know, you know, I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, we could tell Lefty's story forever i do want to get i want to get to your project and i want you to talk about you know everything you're doing um the born ready book was awesome on bias um and you're you're going to update that um but tell everybody about the 34 plus one campaign which is going to turn into a podcast series etc well it started last summer uh when I realized next year was going to be 35 years and then the number and, and sort of it all, their synergy was there. We started last summer actually working with University of Maryland interns to produce a, a, a sizzle reel or a sample reel of what the documentary would look like. And we, we have that on the site and the, the site is gogradymedia.com. That's the name of my, my company, Go Grady Media. Uh, and there's a story behind that, which maybe we'll get to um, from my Maryland days. Um, so we, we produced this as a reel and we started shopping it around and we got interest from Octagon Entertainment. I know some people at Octagon and they connected us to the entertainment division. And now it's evolved to where it's going to be a podcast series. And uh, we want to use that podcast series to generate interest in a possible documentary with Octagon Entertainment. The documentary would focus on at this point the, the element of social change that Lens Legacy created. Uh, those familiar with his story know that um, no, in large part, the main, main reason because of his death, Congress in 1986 passed the 1986 Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which really changed the way you, you sentenced uh, uh, cocaine yeah. criminals. And it were skewed it to where uh, tens of thousands of young black men started going to prison for crack, and, uh, crack cocaine and powder cocaine, primarily crack cocaine. Uh, crimes. And it lasted for decades. It overcrowded prisons. That's the social change aspect of this. I feel, and, and you may too, Kevin, especially if you read the book, his legacy is, is very so vast. It's not just uh, the impact on federal drug legislation. It's also how it impacted the Celtics, how it impacted Maryland athletics, how it impacted his friends and family, uh, coaches. Uh, I was an athlete at Maryland in the late 70s. I was a, a track team captain. and I played soccer for part of a year. So I knew people in the athletic department, how it affected them, specifically Dick Dahl, who was an assistant coach on the team, track team when I was there. We loved Dick. Everybody loved Dick. And I saw what it did to him personally. Uh, I saw what it did to others personally in in the athletic department. So that was the interest in writing the book. It's evolved to where we're now with the podcast series. Um, We're updating the book uh, tied into 35 years plus. Uh, And I, I think the most important part of this thing is all this has evolved 
since the book came out in 2011. Uh, I started, um, I, I've sold the book, I've, I've sold the book at lots of youth tournaments and I set up a table and, and it does really well. And uh, people will come up. So this is, you know, it's a great story and it's, and, but what are you going to do with it? How can you, how can you teach people from it? And it made me start thinking. So I started speaking to teenagers and young adults at rec centers, at schools, and about how to become an effective decision maker, not just a good decision maker, but an effective decision maker. There's a, there's a group that's working with us called the Decision Education Foundation, which establishes curriculums for students and really anybody on how to uh, make effective decisions. So the last, ser- um, uh, last um, segment of this podcast series will be on how to make effective decisions. So we want to take all of this, the 34 plus one project, and stress effective decision making for teenagers and young adults using Lens Story as a tool to attract their attention. You, you and I know the story. You and I lived it. You went to Maryland when he was there. We understand it. A lot of people know who Lynn Bias is. They don't know what he was. They know they heard he died or he was a good basketball player. But there's, as you know, there's so much more to it. So we're trying to we're trying to add to all that. You can find out much more um, about what Dave uh, and his group are working on, as he mentioned, by going to gogradiumedia.com. You know, I think that the the part of his legacy that you you described briefly that is so amazing, and and I think it came from a good spot, you know, in 1986 with, you know, the drug epidemic and the cocaine epidemic and the crack cocaine epidemic of the 80s, you know, with the president at the time, Ronald Reagan, and, and his wife, Nancy you know just say no that there was a real mm-hmm. yearning in this country and it crossed i think all political you know um uh, uh lines i mean everybody wanted more and stricter uh you know laws when, when it came to drugs we had people dying in our streets we had crime that had increased to, to ridiculous levels but it really went overboard didn't it uh, in a big way and and it's uh, my main job is as a uh, public school teacher. I teach uh, social sciences, and one of my classes is government and politics. And I, uh, while working on the story, I understood the, the the political part of that. But now, having taught uh, pol- uh, government and politics a little more, I really have a much better understanding about this. The I'd like to think that the motivations by the politicians were, were more altruistic or, you know, let's help people. But it was for self-preservation, as politics often is. Yeah. The Democrats wanted to maintain their, their majority in the Senate and the House. And Tip O'Neill, who was the speaker at the time, and, and a Celtics fan, by the way, um, he saw the advantage of pushing some legislation through quickly after Bias's death to deal with this drug crisis as it was called at the time it was it was a crisis it, it was, was a problem yeah sure cocaine was i don't you know <laughs> kevin uh, I'm, i imagine you had a had a strong social uh, attitude <laughs> well, at that time <laughs> there was a lot going on in college park <laughs> in the mid 80s trust me uh, boy we um uh i'd go to parties and you know there'd be beer and there'd be cocaine but cocaine was just you know uh, you know a keg of beer you'd have you know, people over there with just cocaine in front of them. Snore. It was it was recreational. That's the attitude then. Right. And and Len's death changed that. And Congress, the Democrats, tried to take advantage of that. And they rushed through this bill that would address in the book. And and uh, without much 
uh, review before the committees. And it, it was this was legislation that was passed within two months yeah. of when it started. And that doesn't happen often. And this is this is why this is this is, I think, is potentially the most impactful part of his legacy. Uh, it, it still exists today. That issue is still impactful today. Jay, uh, uh, Jay Billis is on our Cicero. We interviewed for him. him uh, uh, Don Marcus is working with me on the former Baltimore Sun reporter. He's working with us on this. And he interviewed Jay, and, and Jay has a soundbite on our sizzle reel. Please go see it if you haven't, or anyone who's listening. And he said that's the part of the story that needs to be told more. It's his, his, his soundbite. And you can see in his face, there's anguish about, you know, Jay's, an, he was an attorney. He's, he's, he's got legal training. He knows, he knows this part of the story. And, and, and he says that is the most, that's the part of the story that needs to be told more. So that, that why it's, that's why it's important for us to even focus on that if, as we go the documentary route, if we still stay with that focus, but that's the interest now. Yeah, and you know, the, the other part of this, and um, it was the Cleveland Browns safety, Don Rogers. Uh, Don, Don yep. Rogers was a, 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 an NFL safety for the Cleveland Browns, and within a month or two after Bias's death, he died that's right. of a cocaine mm-hmm. overdose. So it was those two deaths, Bias's being the most significant, because remember, too, the physical features um bias was such a physical specimen like people looked at him and said how can anything kill this guy you know and 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 he was so great he was such a magnificent athlete um Mm -hmm. that it it really hit hard and not to mention the fact that it was within hours after he had been drafted um and had uh been uh you know in boston um but Mm -hmm. you know for those that don't know that part of the len bias story you know it was major legislation that that really led to mandatory minimum sentences increasing Mm -hmm. significantly for drug-related crimes, which ultimately put many um, more, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, minorities uh, in particular, and 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 those of less means into jail for much longer periods of time than they had been doing before. But uh, am I wrong about this? It was not an unpopular uh, legislation, you not know, at in, all. in 1986. Sure, yeah, and, yeah. and again, it was it's the political. It's self-preservation that the Democrats were trying to take advantage of. Right. And to, to be a little more clear on what that despair, what that um, that law addressed, it addressed many things, but most most significantly, a hundred to one disparity between crack and powder cocaine. If you had five grams of powder cocaine, you got a mandatory minimum of five years in prison. If you had a hundred grams of crack cocaine, I'm sorry, it's it's the it's the reverse. Right. Five grams of crack, hundred grams of powder. Same mandatory minimum sentence, five years. Who was using crack? The young black men, young, young, young uh, black adults, males. Yeah. And, and it skewed against them, and, and it's really created a problem with our, uh, with our prisons and, 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 and sentencing reform. So it's, it's still an issue that exists today. By the way, one last thing, and again, um, go to gogradymedia.com to find out more about what Dave and, and his group are working on. Um, it's fascinating. But somebody, I was playing golf um, a few days ago, and somebody said to me, you know, it, it's Len Bias's death um, 
still impacts the program today. And I said, I don't think so. I think that that ship sailed a long time ago. He was, we were talking about recruiting. And he said, no, 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 you're missing my point. He goes, if Len Bias were alive today and if he had had the NBA career that we thought he was going to have and if he had become like this all-time you know, NBA icon, like Jordan became as an example, you know, North Carolina's never needed Jordan to be a recruiter for North Carolina. North yeah, Carolina yeah. recruits on name alone. But imagine the recruiter that Len Bias would have been for anybody coaching uh-huh. at Maryland. And I thought about that. And I think actually that's a really good point. You know, had he lived, and we're talking now more about sort of the basketball side of it, had he lived the ambassador that he would have been for the university and, you know, the the way if he had had a similar NBA career to his college career and he had been, you know, a human highlight reel like Dominique Wilkins was, like Jordan was, and he had been, you know, even years after his NBA career ended – had been a player that young players continued to look up to, it really would have been, I think, impactful to recruiting. It it could have been very significant. And that's something with that. And and Gary Williams talks about how recruiting was so difficult for him. Right. After, after he came in because he would start recruiting athletes and, Hey, is is this, this is the school where Len Bias does. Yeah. I don't want to go there. So this went for years. Yeah. Uh, and, and Gary will talk about that. If I can add one thing, uh, Kevin, uh, before we, before we um, sure. end this, something that's timely, we started something called uh, the Len Bias fandom promotion. It starts actually April 1st, but we're starting to promote it on our social media uh, uh, platforms. We're asking people to submit their most fond memories and reflections of Len, good and bad. Um, you know, it affected it, it, it hurt lives. It, it had saved lives, uh, to be candid. So if you go to our, uh, there's uh, gogreatmedia.com slash fandom, all the, all the um, uh, information's there. We're going to pick the best submissions, and there will be prizes. This will build all the way up to June 19th. Um, uh, so we're going to pick the top 10, and then we'll pick a finalist, and, and then we're going to have fun with it just so we can, this will help everybody, uh, again, grasp and understand his full legacy because it's not just, these great stories about his athleticism and, and as a basketball player, but these sober and somber reflections and stories about how his death affected things. So uh, we started that uh, this week, and, and that'll be going through June 19th. June nineteenth, nineteen eighty six, was one of the worst days um, I'll, I'll ever, I'll never forget. You know, it, it was one of those for for many of us. It was one people, of those. Yeah. You know, you knew where you were when you heard the news. But uh, I love what you're doing, and when you have the results come back, I mean, from his jumper to beat UT Chattanooga in the tournament as a freshman to the game he had against Duke in the <laughs> ACC finals uh, the year later. But you know, number one, I can tell you right now what number one's going to be it's going to be the Carolina game in Chapel Hill um, where he went uh, you know for an incredible 35 and and rebounds in the block shot on Kenny Smith's drive and overtime etc that's going to be number one although I'll tell you what there were games that he played his final game at Cole against Virginia Olden Polonese put up a Mm -hmm. shot and I was very close to the floor, and you heard Leonard go up and snag it midair and say, get that shit out of here, and he threw it into the fourth row. That, and, and he had such a great game against UVA. You know, his final game against UNLV was a brilliant basketball game, and it's just a shame. Oh, it was a great game to watch. Great how, game to watch. The last 10 minutes, he just, he just took it over. 
took it over. Wasn't enough. And they had yeah, an eight-point lead, and somehow they blew it. I don't know. I still, to this day, that that was almost as devastating a loss as Gravis's final game against Michigan State was. Well, well, also in that first half against UNLV, Len really was chunking it. He was not. He was missing shots. He yeah. was playing well. But this is the kind of player he was. He knew, and he didn't have, for some reason, his other his his teammates were not helping him out too much in that game. He just he felt he had to take it upon himself. Those last ten minutes are great to watch to see what kind of player he was. He took it upon himself. He was fighting it. He put his head down. Okay, I'm going to see what I can do to save this team. That's the kind of player he was. One other thing I like to say about fandom, and this, you talk about these great moments that people know about. We already had somebody send something in last night, uh, a, a gentleman who actually said he was recruiting Len to be his agent. Um, and he got out of, after Len died, he stopped being an agent. He was so upset and went in to become a successful businessman. But he said he would go to Maryland practices. And he, he, he told a story about how at the end of practice, uh, Lefty would get all the players at uh, shooting foul shots. And, and you know, one player would shoot and everybody else would be around them and yelling and screaming at them, simulating right. you know, a loud crowd and so they can focus. And he said, uh, when Len was up there, he, with everybody yelling at him, and after you make one, everybody gets closer. You make another, you get closer and louder. Len, Len he, he remembers Len making 38 in a row in that environment. That's <laughs> the kind of stuff I, I want to hear. That's great stuff. That so is great stuff. We'll, we'll get a lot more of that, and, and Kevin will be happy to share that as, as we go down the road. With I, I would love to. And, you know, back then, and I was in school then, you could walk right into Cole in the middle of That's practice right. and sit right in Cole and watch practice. And, you know, Lefty would walk out of that office up on the concourse level, and you'd hear that booming voice. And Lefty, people yeah. don't realize this that don't know, Lefty was 6'6". Like, he oh. was an imposing figure, um, not to mention the charisma, but uh, those were the days. Um, I wish yep. you the best of luck indefinitely Seven, on the fandom you. thing. Uh, come back and we'll talk about it down the road. Appreciate your support. Yep. Dave and Grady, everybody. Uh, again, go GradyAmedia.com. That's it for the day. Back tomorrow with Cooley. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com